it's it's a very simple model, but like a lot of people make the mistake by believing it's easier to sell low priced things and therefore it should be easy to sell a high number of them. In my experience, it's just as hard to sell a low ticket thing as it is to sell a high ticket thing, an expensive thing. So you're better off selling the high ticket thing, having a, a broader margin and then growing your audience with that margin. What if your grandfather was an engineer and then your father was an engineer and then you decided to become an engineer until you no longer wanted to be an engineer and instead go into the world of online marketing? That is today's story on The Modern Consultant. And I have the pleasure of hosting Ross O'Loughlin, the founder of ConversionEngineering.co. We'll be talking about many cool things inside of this episode, including his proprietary framework, the conversion engineering model, where he talks about the three things that we need as consultants and service providers to be able to scale our businesses online, which are the traffic conversion and offer cubes. If you have ever wondered about having a way to be able to organize all of these disparate things that you need to be able to optimize inside of your business, then this is going to be a great episode for you. As well. If you've also been wondering about how to traverse like the difficult world of going from like a STEM background, science, tech, engineering, math uh, into the world of online marketing, then you're also going to want to be able to pay very close attention to how Ross did it himself. Finally, we also talk about personal development, really cool book recommendations that have had inspired us to level up our professional development to improve performance for our clients' lives. You're going to want to pay special close attention because Ross has very cool wins under his belt, such as helping his clients make over $100,000 per month. So with that said, let's go ahead and get right into it. Ross, I just want to say welcome to The Modern Consultant. I am deeply honored uh, to have you here. Uh, and I think we've known each other now for almost like 10 years uh, at this point. And <laughs> we've, <laughs> we have been at conferences together. Uh, but we, it's, it's, it's been a fantastic journey. Um, and a fun fact that people who know us personally um, will not know about both of us is that at one point, you were in a coaching program that I was the head of. And I've been in a coaching program that you're the head of. And so we, it's, 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 it's a beautiful like come circle, which is something that I, I really love and appreciate um, because I have to say that I have loved learning from you and I'm excited about this opportunity for other people to get to learn from you because I know you're going to change your lives. So again, thank you uh, for coming. Dude, my my pleasure to talk about an intro. You've got me all blushing and and and, uh, <laughs> and, and beaming. It's um, it's 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 all but, true. It's all true. Man. Yeah, totally. Like we we've been on this like interesting kind of journey where we kind of started roughly the same place, and we're kind mm -hmm. of bouncing back and forth. Each person's kind of like you know developed an area of expertise in one area, and then we learn from each other on that area, and it's just been bouncing back and forth. It's been a really fun. It's been fun watching our our uh, growth trajectories. Considering that, like we're we're two islanders that could not look more mm -hmm. different, <laughs> right? 100%. Sound more different, um. But we've also got this weird similarities in our kind of 
trajectories of where we kind of started from and then moving into the world of marketing and all that. Like it's just, it's mm -hmm. been this, you know, how would you describe it? Uh, two parallel paths that have, you know, been weaving in and out uh, mm -hmm. at various, at various points. So it's an honor, dude. I mean, it was thrilled when you invited me to come on the podcast. Dude, thank you. Thank you again for making the time. And, you know, something that I love to kick off with is I'd love for us to go back in time because I know there's also folks who are listening to this that they've never met you um, before. And, you know, yes, in the intro, we would have told them that, you know, you are the founder of Conversion Engineering, but tell us a little bit more about how that came to be. Who is the man behind Conversion Engineering? Yeah, so uh, great question. Um, so who, who the hell am I? So I obviously coming from my accent, you might tell I come from Ireland originally. So I grew up in a tiny town in uh, the south of Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, uh, about 6,000 people and grew up there in a place where everyone knows everyone and whatnot. Um, like my parents didn't live in that region. They kind of moved there from other parts of the country, but like generations of Irish people kind of um, like... I don't know if I have any ancestors, you know, that were from other countries. Like when you're a spud walloper Irish person, like you're, you're, you've come there for like time immemorial. Um, now what's interesting is like growing up in a small town, like that, that comes with a whole bunch of, you know, awesomeness and, um, downsides. So you could say, um, definitely like my, probably one of the biggest influences on my life, uh, was, uh, the engineering history in my family, for sure. So when we talk mm -hmm. about conversion engineering, there's like a huge history of engineering in my family. My dad's a computer engineer. I have like, his brother was an engineer. My two oh, grandfathers wow. were engineers. Oh, there's I didn't been, know they went that far back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like my grandfather on my mother's side was like a refrigeration engineer. Grandfather on my father's side was a civil engineer. He was like a professor <laughs> in University wow. of Galway in Ireland. Yeah, nice. and then... Like I have cousins, like all so many per high percentage of my male cousins, all engineers. And like, I'm pretty good, at, pretty good at math. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not an expert. I'm not like a, sorry, I'm not like a mathematician, right? An engineer will say, I'm like good at math, but like engineers also know mathematicians and know that like, they're not that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, definitely like going to school, um, was able to do math, but wasn't really all that inspired by it. Um, still remember like wanting to do, you know, art in high school and my parents like steering me away from it, being like, yeah, you should probably do business kind of thing. Um, and like do the sensible thing, right? Like, and that's what parents often tell you to do, right? Is like their job is to like, just make sure you're not a complete catastrophic like failure. You know what I mean? Like go with the safe bets kind of thing. Um, and with that in mind, I kind of was sent to like a school that was not in my hometown. Um, I was sent to like a school that was like, you know, half an hour away because it was like slightly mm. better. Um, and like got into math, physics, chemistry. Like those are the high school subjects that I did. And then like this guidance counselors were like, you should do engineering, right? Like you got the subjects. Engineers tend to do good. Like if you go to engineering university and in university and you pass and you graduate like you're pretty like it's pretty hard to screw up from that point right like engineers can get jobs that's mm -hmm. one of the things people said like a lot of engineers don't end up in engineering but they end up like 
being able to solve some problem somewhere as a manager or like at some point, like you've got a problem solving skill set in your head. So that's usually pretty, pretty useful. So go do that. You'll just be fine. And then I went to university and studied mechanical engineering, which like I was awesome at for the first year because I kind of, you know, it was just basically high school repeated. Uh, and then I went to study. I got a work placement working for Intel. And that's when the bubble burst, right? Mm. Like everyone was telling me, oh yeah, go work for Intel. It's like the top work placement. It's amazing. And um, I got it. And I was like very excited to go to Intel because like Intel is cool, right? Like, especially I grew mm -hmm. up being a PC gamer. So like I knew yep. what Intel did and all that. Um, you know, the Pentium chips back in the day, or, you know, my dad was a computer programmer. So like, I remember the first day we got a Pentium computer. It was like a big deal. And then here was me going to Intel and then very quickly realized that this was a multinational like corporation where when you're brought in, like they give you the like, oh no, you're not just a number. You're a person to us. Here's your barcode, like identity. Make sure you scan it on the way in like every single day. And like, I just very quickly got, you know, realized I could work my ass off in this organization and like I could, I could literally be top performing and come in here 60 hours a week and I would make like a drop of impact, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just like, I, I, I would barely move any of the major numbers in this just wholeheartedly like optimized machine. And I just found that like uninteresting, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, at the time as well, I was in university, I was far more interested in DJing and like partying and like a whole creative side to my life. And I just very quickly got bored with it and ended up like flunk, almost flunking out of university. Like my parents really had to like encourage me like, dude, you're in year three. Like wow. I had to repeat year three. Like just go back and finish it. Like you'll have the degree. You can figure out what to do afterwards. But I was like, so like just lost after my experience with Intel, because I just realized if that's the best there is, like that is, I've chosen the wrong degree. And um, so ended up, Rhymed my way through the last fourth year, graduated and got my degree, like not a very, I didn't get very good marks when you averaged it over like the, the three years that counted, but I got the degree. And then I was like figuring out what the hell do I do? And went to university in uh, Canada to do a master's. This time I said, I'm going to do civil engineering. This is like, I'm good at engineering, but it was like making money in a factory is not really what I want to do. Let's apply my engineering powers for good. I'm going to do water treatments, right? I'll be the guy that's going to like, you know, make sure society has clean water. Uh, we treat the wastewater. And so I went to do a civil engineering degree in Canada. I did a master's there. And then after seven years of engineering, I realized maybe I shouldn't be an engineer. <laughs> maybe this is not for me. But I ended up getting a work placement at a software company, an environmental compliance software company, which is as sexy as it sounds. Um, and yeah, I'd like ended up getting hired to like this company we did the compliance for um, or software product did the compliance for like Toyota, BMW, Mercedes, like any of those major manufacturers, automobile manufacturers in the States. Like we had all of them on, on our, our client roster. Uh, and I was hired to help them like build out their water treatment module. Um, but very quickly, it just, they discovered there that I, I could write, right? This is something that I had oh. just 
in the background of my life, I had always kind of written articles. I kind of just on the side wrote articles for like game reviews. I was like a forum poster in like my video gaming days. I just been practicing writing and I just didn't realize I was good at it. Um, but they quickly discovered, oh, you're an engineer that can write. Do you want to write some content for us? And this was a software company that had like practically no marketing team, like at all. Oh, okay. And I had done some web design because my dad was a computer programmer and I was kind of a child of the internet when kind of the yep. internet came online in the, like the nineties. So I had done some small bit of web design. I knew like basic HTML and CSS. Um, and like, there was an opportunity where they're like, well, we need the website to be done. You can kind of do content. Do you want to like take over the marketing? Fortunately at that time I had just started reading like, what was it? Tim Ferriss's four hour work week Oh, where, yeah. yeah. So like I was getting sick to death of this, like commuting out to this job. I was like, bro, I have no free time. Someone introduced that concept to me. And it was just this perfect moment of, well, I'm looking like I finally understood what business and marketing was. Cause Tim Ferriss is just a genius at being able to like simplify concepts. I was like, this is marketing. Like I could do this. Like it seems fairly straightforward. Right. Um, and I had that motivation. And then I had like this kind of almost um, in my mind, like invisible strength of writing that, you know, a lot of engineers don't have and an opportunity came along and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take over the website. Give me a shot at it. And then ask some friends, like, where do I learn about marketing? <laughs> right? Like what, what are the sources? And I asked a friend of mine, I asked a cousin of mine, and I got introduced to like HubSpot. Someone put me on to Dean Jackson's I Love Marketing podcast. And then I just went out a rabbit hole, right? I'm sure you've mm. done the same where it's like just this mm -hmm. new area of interest and fascination. And I just went whoop, like pre, pre kind of the, the, the YouTube rabbit hole. Like it was like just watching webinar after webinar mm -hmm. with HubSpot, like listening to podcasts after podcasts with I love marketing. I devoured all the books, uh, lean startup, like don't make me think like anything to do with anything that was web design, user experience, marketing. I just went into like study mode for like two years um, and that was really like, it was a total identity shift and a bunch of challenges that happened. But I was like, I, this, this is, this is the thing. Like I discovered copywriting and that was like, where I was like, bro, this is, this is my thing. I think this is, this is such an incredible story. Like I, I didn't want to interrupt you like even once. Like it was, it was just so good. <laughs> like, like I had so many thoughts bubbling about, I was like, Ooh, I want to, I want to circle back to that one. Um, here's why. I think it's so helpful because I know that people listening into this, you have some people who are consultants who are earlier on in their journey and they're, they're having that epiphany moment or they're coming close to having that epiphany moment that you did and they're trying to find their way, you know? And so I, and then you also have some other folks who are further along, like they've, they've been down this mm. independent consulting route. They've maybe even grown team of consultants and stuff. And they're thinking too, well, Hmm what might be the next thing. And so regardless of where someone is in the journey, there's something that's forever applicable, which is the identity shift. And so mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about what brought that epiphany and then what you decided to do after. Yeah. So, so I knew I didn't want to do engineering. 
that was the first thing, right? Like I'm an engineer. I come from a family of engineers. So I had kind of like this identity of like, well, I'm, I'm an engineer, but like, I, I did not want to be an engineer. Like here in Quebec, there's like an engineering society. Um, and like, they do this ceremony where you get like a, an iron ring and you wear the ring. Like I, like everyone was excited to do it. I was like, bro, I don't want that. Like at all. Um, if you know the story behind that, right. Like, there's this bridge oh, that was misdesigned in Quebec and it like cried, it broke, and it like oh, catastrophic failure. People died. And oh. what they did was they took the iron out of that ring and they like, oh. you know, fabricated it. It's like iron out of the bridge and they fabricated it into rings. And then the next wave of engineers were given those rings. Oh. And the idea is when you're signing your uh the engineering plans like the the, the iron you wear on your pinky is touching the plans like this supposed to remind you like that oh, yo geez. remember this wow. yeah okay. it was very symbolic but i yeah. was like bro that is stupid you need a ring to remind you to do a good job i was like <laughs> no not for me and and i was just like not interested in becoming like a junior engineer i'm gonna walk or, like just be stuck in spreadsheets working under some senior engineer doing all this like data analysis like i was just, like this is not mm-hmm. this is not what i want um but the creativity and the writing side of marketing really appealed to me and like mm. performance based like testing like that's like that's not working can we try something else what understand yeah. why isn't it working what can we try and having that like human element like i'm a big extrovert like understanding people like this engineering is very numbers based and like that's a strength but far more interesting to me is the creativity and the you know, the, the human psychology and understanding people and marketing is like this awesome combination and overlap of those three things that I was like, just naturally drawn to it. But then like when we first started like hanging out in Ramit Sethi's group, yeah, right. Like he, he talks about like invisible scripts, right. Mm-hmm. And like your invisible beliefs that are holding you back. I had so much work to do that. Like I can't do marketing. Like I'm not trained as a marketer. I didn't go to university to do marketing, right? Because like as an engineer, you're trained to think that that's the case. You you can't do engineering if you're not trained as an engineer, right? Like it's just, it'd be um, malpractice to let someone do that work if they don't understand everything that happens. Marketing is a little softer, right? Like (laughs) anyone can do marketing, but it takes a lot to be able to do marketing well, right? And so I had a lot of identity work to do around that because I didn't consider myself a marketer or even a mm-hmm. copywriter. And that was a huge issue that like, I actually got a lot out of Ramit's community with to like start making those shifts. And um, mm. did, did you have something similar in your world when you were like so, making the shift into marketing? A hundred percent, because, you know, like I share with you, you know, my background is in environmental sciences uh, and there's actually mm. a pretty significant engineering component to it as well. And yeah. I, come from a family of uh, STEM majors, you know, uh, STEM majors and like service professionals, uh, but we don't really have like marketers in the family, you know? And yeah. so like my, my dad's a doctor, you know, I knew the world of science uh, and that's where I felt comfortable, you know? And uh, the parallels between our stories to here are just uncanny because it was in my third year of undergrad that I realized mm-hmm. that I really wanted to go down the business route. But I was like three years into the science degree. <laughs> so, like, yeah. you know, it's like, well, finish that up. Uh, and then in grad school, like getting my second degree, that's when I really ventured into the world of online marketing. I took an online course and then the rabbit hole begun. Um, but then, like you, when 
I got into our roommate's community and started making friends with just, you know, just amazing people. I found out that there were so many perspectives and ways of seeing the world that was just well far outside of what I'd been exposed to growing up. And I was like, I got a lot to learn, <laughs> just so much. Um, but yeah, I, I a hundred percent relate. Like it's, as Ramit says, you know, like there's, there's these invisible scripts, you know, you, you don't even realize that you have them, but they're in the way invisibly shaping your behavior and responses mm. to the world, the choices that you make and the choices you don't make, you know, in yes. health, wealth, and love, you know, three big areas of life, you know, that, you know, Tony Roberts, you know, for instance, uh, says that it's necessary for a fulfilling life. But I truly believe that we can't create an actualized um, best version of our life without examining the existing world. Mm. Just, just doesn't happen, you know? Um, and I almost like bouncing it back to you. Um, something else that I'm curious about, like in your own story, like you, how did you then go from, okay, identifying what some of those limiting beliefs were to, to then working on them to then actually now starting to do the work of like marketing and being a marketing consultant and, you know, uh, making that shift from engineering to marketing. Yeah. So, so I was kind of like, um, what's jumping into my mind is like the expression, like fake it till you make it, which I don't really like the expression of, but like, it's like, there's an underlying kind of truth to it. I think it's like, um, a better way of doing it is like expressing it. I would say is like, do it until you are right. Mm. Um, and so I was already doing it right. Like I got to, I got to, um, the, the software company and I was like reading the news, reading the, like the, 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 the papers, the regulations, I was consuming all the technical content. And then I was like writing the content and I was like, I already knew how to write. So writing content was easy, right? Like, and that's a huge part of marketing is like, creating content that's easy to read and easy to understand. Now I was not a good copywriter, but I could write clearly. Um, and then I just started going down the rabbit hole of like, okay, well, this person talks about how to do this. This person talks how to do that. Like I'm not, I don't identify as a marketer, but I can, I could, I can write an email. I, okay. Search engine optimization. I can write code. Like I could write HTML code well enough that I know where the, the meta tags are. I know what to put in the meta tags. Okay, I can do all of this stuff, and like I, looking back now, like I, you know, I've got smarts. I'm like I, 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 I'm a hard worker. Like I obviously could do it well because like it's not all that complicated at the end of the day. Like the 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 part that makes marketing work or not is is more like that part science, part creativity, and just willingness to try mm. a bunch of stuff. So you know, I was doing it and. The big shift though happened when I started learning Google ads mm. and I discovered Perry Marshall and Perry uh, Marshall, yep. Perry Marshall is like for people who don't know, big guy in the internet marketing space, Google ad space. And he's like actually an engineer. He was an electrical, electrical engineer. And then he was like a shining example of someone that was like a razor sharp marketer, incredible copywriter, just has this insane ability to like, you know, craft unique selling propositions. And I gravitated mm -hmm. to him as soon as I found him because I was like, yo, this is someone that like made it from engineering to marketing, but thinks and talks like an engineer, 
And I was like, oh, there's something there. And I learned about Google ads and I was doing Google ads for my company. And then my cousin worked locally in Montreal as well. He had an electrician, residential electrician company and they were doing Google ads. And I was, he was like complaining about the Google ads. And I was like, well, I do Google ads for like my company. Do you want me to take a look? And he was like, sure. And he was like, I'll pay you for it. And I think I charged like 20 bucks an hour at the time. Mm -hmm. But that was like first proof of concept of like, oh, well, I could get paid for this. And then Ramit Sethi, I was like, I discovered him through just the circles of Tim Ferriss. I was on his email list and he came out with this weird concept of like, join my online course, earn 1K on the side. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, talk about like limiting beliefs of what you've got. Like I'm coming from a small town in Ireland. I was like, am I really going to pay some, this weird Indian dude on the internet about how to teach me how to <laughs> freelancing and pay like a thousand bucks? Like, you know, this is just way outside the norm of what I was used to. But mm -hmm. that man is a hell of a copywriter. That was a hell of an offer. And I was like, let me try this. He's going to teach me how to freelance. I'm I'm going to learn how to freelance. Like the, the options back then were create an online course or freelance. And I was like, I think freelance is for me. Let's try the freelance thing. And that was just like, I still to this day, the greatest thousand dollars I've ever spent because like not only did he deliver on that, but like that was that was the moment where I said, I'm going to try and make money myself. And it opened up a huge world to me of like being able to sell your services. Mm -hmm. And then that gave me confidence to actually like, well, I can sell this stuff and I can get paid for it. I still didn't have the identity shift. But again, I was starting to now do the things that that would let me get to there. But the, the belief stuff was causing me to like undercharge and not believe mm. I might be able to do it for A, B, and C person. But I was able to do the, the actions of like generate leads and doing a sales call, all the stuff he teaches you. So that was kind of like the slow kind of bend towards, well, I can do it, but I still didn't believe I was a good marketer or that I could like charge high rates, which is a different story. Here's why I love this because it's, even though we're talking about you know, uh, moving into the realm of freelancing or what some people refer mm -hmm. to as like independent consulting um, and, and uh, making that shift, you know, from full-time employee to, to, okay, starting to earn some money on the side, making that a reality. It's also extremely applicable to business owners who are starting a new line of business because what it really yeah. is, is moving from the familiar to the unfamiliar testing this new idea, this new, this new, it might be productization, you know, maybe going from services to, to products for the first time. And it's like starting all over again from scratch. Does it work? I'm not a marketer. All these things start to come up. And so even though like this, you know, I see the parallels, you know, between uh, like these two journeys. And so I think it's just really, really helpful, you know, for you to be like sharing that. What people might not also know is that if we were to fast forward in time, you now have case studies uh, on your website where you've got folks going from 13K per month to $200,000 per month, like, yeah. which is insane. Like if we go back to like Ross, like, oh man, I wonder if I can earn 1,000 on the side to $200,000 per month. Like <laughs> if, you could, if you could go back in time mm. to that Ross, like what would you tell yourself knowing everything that you know now? So the main, I would say earlier on, 
to myself. Uh, something that somebody not Ramit's brain trust actually said to me. I think his name was Jared. I can't. Oh, I think it was definitely a J. Yeah, Jared. but like, yeah, I can't remember his surname. But there was like an invisible script busting, like I know jam exactly session. who you're talking about. Yeah, 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 right. And like, I came and I was like, bro, I got to like, I don't, I like, I am not trained as an engineer and whatnot. And he, he, he was like, well, do you have data that supports that you can't do it? It's like, yeah. It's like, what are the numbers? And he was like, and he was like, well, what's what's typical? What's average? I was like, oh, it's actually way above average. Like, you know what I mean? Like compared to what most mm-hmm. email marketing was doing, like my emails were doing great. And he's like, what else do you need? Like to prove that you can, <laughs> you can do this, right? Like, yeah, you don't. And, and then I did, like, I was going through like Ramit's a dream job course, which he was like a $2,000 purchase which again was a phenomenal purchase because as I went through that process of like finding your dream job at this company, I realized I do not want to go through the hiring process for companies <laughs> like at all. Right. I was like, I'm not meant for yeah. that. So it was a, it was a resounding result, but by going through that process, I was trying to get conversations with like marketing professionals, people who were like in marketing manager roles and whatnot. And as I was talking to them, I was like being humble, but also realizing Yo, these people are not like, you know, they're not unicorns. You know what I mean? The fact that they study marketing in university doesn't mean that they're actually any good at it, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. and that kind of woke me up to the idea of like, just go and do the thing, get the data that you can do the thing, and then just assume that like your job is just to continue to get more and more of that. Yep. To build the case to yourself and to other people that like you've got the track record. Like the track record is really all that matters. Right at mm-hmm. the end of the day, like if you like your credibility is going to be based on a number of things, but it, particularly in a performance based space like marketing, like your track record, your track record. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. who cares where Usain Bolt's studied what he does? He's, the record is he's got is telling you what he's capable of doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and just like be patient with yourself, like your identity will shift over time. And like your job is to constantly ask yourself, how is it holding back? And as you said, like, what is that next level? You know what I mean? Like as soon as I adjusted into the, I can do marketing, then there was a whole, what am I a copywriter? And then once you, you get that identity of copywriter, it's like, well, I'm starting my own consultancy. Well, am I a business owner? Mm-hmm. And like, you're constantly like moving up the levels yep. and it's like, well, am I, is my identity able to handle this new, this new level, this new thing? And the answer is no, it's what imposter syndrome is, but your job is just to like manage yourself through those transformations, or I should say manage your emotions through those transformations and not let the invisible beliefs hold you back from taking the actions that are going to get you where you need to go. I think that is excellent. And it reminds me of this quote by uh, Layla Hormozy, um, mm. um, partner in uh, uh, acquisition.com. And they like, I think they have like a portfolio of like 150, you know, million or so like per year or something like that. And this quote that uh, she said uh, stood out to me, which is, you know, outwork your self doubt. Yeah. And I was like, mm, I'll like that. You know, and I like I hear that in your story where it's like you recognize that maybe there was some doubt there, but at the same time, you took action, you went out and you did what any scientist does, which is go collect data. <laughs> like, what does the evidence say? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. hypothesis formed, but okay, but 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 what is the result though? 
you know, uh, which, which I think is uh, fantastic. Like I have, I have many friends still like, you know, in uh, academia and science and they would totally a hundred percent agree with me like on that one. Um, there's something though, I want to almost want to topic jump a little bit forward mm-hmm. in time now. Right. So it's like, yeah. what if somebody's listening to this and whether or not they are early on in the consulting journey or, you know, they're, they're at any of these growth stages that you just outlined, you know, it could be, you know, a consultant at a big four company, or, you know, they could be, you know, independent consultant or uh, freelancer, or they could be, you know, solo, you know, doing well, or team of consultants. You actually have um, a model that you've developed over at Conversion Engineering that yes. uh, I would love for you to dig into because I, it's something that I believe could help anyone at any of those uh, stages. And I think you refer to it as the offer cube. Is that right? Yeah. So we have like a larger level model, which is called the conversion engineering model. And then that's kind of broken down into like three, three cubes. You kind of represented it with a, with a cube and there's kind of three dimensions to the cube and the cube represents, Hey, if you want to solve any problem in your marketing conversion system, there's like only three areas you can look. There's offers, conversion, and traffic. And the offer cube, which is what you're referencing, is like the cube that defines all the components that you could kind of, the levers you can pull while trying to fix your, your offer. So like when we're talking about offer conversion and, and traffic, offer is like the thing that you're, you've got that you're going to put in front of other people and say, do you want this? This is the thing. Here's the cost, whether it's free or not. Like I'm asking for your email address or it's $2,000 or it's $12,000. Here's, here's the thing. Will you say yes to it, right? Conversion well, is to, how you... Sure, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, actually, you started to answer the question that I was going to ask. So like you're way ahead of me. I was going to be like, yeah. okay, but what are the different pieces and how do they all fit together? Please continue. Yeah, yeah. So, so the offer is like the thing, the thing that you, 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 you got, you're going to put in front of people. Conversion then is how you get people to say yes to that thing, right? So you can have an offer, right? Like let's say it's a $2,000 course and it sits in the, in the world um, and you, you've developed this. Like it's not going to sell itself, right? Like it might be a, an offer that when you put it in front of people, they'll say yes, but like you have to have the ability to put it in front of people or you have to be, have the ability to communicate about it and then move people to making a decision. All of that is covered in like the conversion part of the model, which is all about how you nurture and build a relationship with people, how you start to get them to raise their hand or express interest in your thing and then how you get them to say yes to that thing, Right. And so that's like the first two parts of the model is the thing that you've got making it compelling. And then there is the way that you get people to say yes. And once you have those two kind of foundational pieces in place, then the third part of the model is traffic, which is like, how do you get more right fit people into your world? So you can get them into your conversion system and then get them to say yes to the thing, the thing that you've got. So that's really how we break down the whole the whole issue with anyone, any client that we're trying to help is, well, if we're looking at your world, your, your, your marketing and conversion world, where's the, where's the problem? It's gotta be in one of these three areas and we can double click in on any parts of those, uh, of those model um, or any different parts of the model into like the three different cubes to see, well, is it, is it, what, what part of your conversion system is broken? 
Is it that you're not building trust fast enough? Is it that when you get in front of a person with a sales call, they don't close? Like where's, where's the specific issue? Uh, and it's a, it's a model we use to kind of diagnose the problem. And then we have strategies that will kind of like prescribe to people to say, hey, here's the best fit strategy we think to solve this bottleneck in this part of the model for, for you. Oh, I love this because it's, I know all of my STEM, you know, science, tech, engineering, math people who are listening to this are just like, oh, systems thinking. Yes. You know, and then for my nun, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, sciencey uh, uh, folks who are listening to it, it's like, oh, man, this sounds like a very straightforward, helpful way to problem solve, you know, and I just really like to underline that just how widely applicable this is. But I'm also mm. curious about how did you, it, there's a theme here of you engineering your way through every problem that you come across yeah. in life, personal or professional. <laughs> and it's fantastic. And so I know that the invisible question that some people are probably listening to this and asking is how the heck did you even like come up with that? Where did it come from? Yeah. So it came from a couple of places. Um, so, so one, like I just, I love models. And I've seen other people who have models and I'm like, oh, that's a really great way to explain what it is you're doing or how you're thinking about the problem. And I've just always kind of been that natural, like my natural reflex is when we're talking about something is grabbing a piece of paper and like illustrating things out. Right. Um, I've done an exercise with a guy called Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach and it's called the unique ability exercise where he gets you to basically email and message like all of your close family members and friends, colleagues, clients, like people who know you and asking them, Hey, like, what is it that like I do better than anyone else? And like, it's an amazing exercise to do. I absolutely love it. I get my clients to do it as well because it often highlights your strengths, which tend to be invisible to you. And one of the data points I got back from that exercise, which was kind of surprising to me was, a lot of people said, bro, you just have this uncanny ability to like see the bigger picture, see how all the pieces fit together and then like break the problem down and just like isolate the one part that needs to be worked on. Mm. That's just something that I just, I think my brain naturally does, which is why probably I was good at engineering. That's really what engineering is, is, is all about. And so I've just naturally like done this. You mentioned Kevin Rogers um, mm. in the, in the lead up to our kind of the pre-talk. And like Kevin Rogers is a copywriting mentor. He's a friend. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a colleague. I've done work with him. I've worked for Kevin. He's been my coach. And like he, like I was trying to work on like getting good at sales letters. And Kev was like, yeah, dude, but like, are you really, like, you really want to be a copywriter? Like if someone says, just write this sales letter, are you going to be able to just like write the sales letter? Or like if there is system around the sales letter is going to suck, are you going to be happy to like keep your mouth shut and just write the sales letter? Right. Mm -hmm. Because like my natural tendency is like, cool. So the sales letter is here, but like where, where are the people coming from? Where are they going afterwards? Yep. Like what's the system around this? And that's not really what most copywriters do, but it's where my brain would naturally go. And like way before I did that exercise, Kevin said that to me and initially I got insulted. I was like, what do you mean? Do I want to be a copywriter? <laughs> of course I want to be a copywriter. <laughs> yeah. But like what he was the copywriter was, question your copywriting. <laughs> yeah, right. But like it was it was again, it was like, bro, I've worked so hard to become a copywriter and my identity, and now you're asking if I want to be one. But like it's just a you know, we all have our strengths. I think that's just something I've naturally 
done. And so I've seen how other people have created models and I'm like, yeah, I, I see it that way, but I see it slightly differently. So it's been part kind of inspiration and collage, part testing of what I've done. And then also just like, I find it valuable to be able to like organize all of the things I've learned in a model that makes sense to, to me. Uh, and so it's just been an ongoing process over the last few years as I've seen what's worked, what's not, like what the real issues are. Like it's just been a, a fun exercise in building out intellectual property actually, but that's a, you know, another, another topic. Yeah, no, it's actually a, an excellent topic uh, because one of the things that I found that, you know, modern consultants are wanting to do uh, and almost need to do is build out intellectual property. Like that's just a natural evolution of the consulting journey. You, 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 you have all this intellectual capital that you mm. have been like refining and testing in the field. Uh, and once you inevitably hit some limit of like service capacity, you know, or, or just even like, you know, physical capacity with your ability to be able to continue working, you know, trading, you know, hours for dollars and everything. It's like, you naturally start to gravitate towards how can I either impact more people, you know, make more money or do some combination of both. And the natural evolution of that is then, okay, well, I've got to convert the expertise into a more scalable format that is able to do some of the lifting without me or all of the lifting uh, without me. So yeah, the IP is a hundred percent important, you know, for doing that. Um, there's something else you mentioned though, that I wanted to almost mm. like dive into a little bit uh, that could be interesting. And if you don't want to go there, mm. that's, that's perfectly fine. No, for sure. I, I don't think you'll have any issues with it, but uh, there was this almost throwaway comment you had about my mind just seemed to naturally gravitate towards seeing the system, you know, and being able to pick it out. And that's something that um, I've also seen uh, in Jay Abraham. You know, um, I was at an event, um, a private event, you know, for, you know, about several days with him and his mind works the same way because in, in many ways, it's like, instead of just doing the copy, he then like went the business route. You know, and for anyone that's listening, it's like, who's Jay Abraham? Jay Abraham's, uh, he's known as the uh, $21.7 billion man because that's how much, you know, money, um, uh, how much he's made in profits uh, for his clients. You know, um, background in direct response before going more down like the business strategy route. And one thing that he's been really open about, which just blew me away and made me more comfortable talking about my own experience was ADHD you know, yeah. um, attention, you know, <laughs> hyperactivity, you know, uh, disorder. And it's like, squirrel. Oh, that's, <laughs> like, you know, I was just like, Oh, that's the thing. And then like all of these books, like half of my bookshelf is just like on that stuff, you know, yeah. um, and trying to understand more about just the inner workings of my own mind. Uh, because mm -hmm. it's like trying to find your way as a consultant without having clarity on who the consultant is, is really hard, you know? Uh, and I know that personal development is something that you and I like have shared in common, but I'm curious, like, is that's what, if anything, have you found out about yourself that allows you to turn the superpowers on it? I don't know if it's ADHD or anything else. Is there any like personal development um, work or so that you've done that, has given you greater clarity. 
Yeah, so I, I have not been diagnosed officially with ADD. Uh, I've done an, a number of like assessments where like, you know, if you score over 11 on this, like your high probability that you're ADD and like, I'm like way over it. Um, I, but I have, I have other people who, friends of mine who are like, have ADD and they're like, bro, you're the least ADD person I know. So it's like, you know, I, who knows? Uh, I certainly, I certainly do have um, like one of the signs I've heard from other people, like the, the other side of ADD is that like intense ability to like just zero in and intensely yeah. focus on just like one thing. I definitely, mm -hmm. definitely have that. Like I can be deep in the numbers of something and I'd be in a spreadsheet and I could go in and like do this analysis and I'll be in there for like hours with no break. You know what I mean? Like it's the same that like the zone that coders get into where they're mm -hmm. just like in there for like that, 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 that and it's like in that flow. Like I definitely, I definitely have that capability as well. Um, honestly, that's where I'm happiest as well right when mm. i when i get into that zone where it's just like there's no interruptions and you're zeroed in and like getting to the bottom of something and making it work like that's that's where i think i like you know they say get to that place where time stands still that's one yeah. of the places for me that time stands still um i get that same vibe like i have a creative side as well like i love producing music and whatnot i get that same vibe when i'm like producing music because you're working through the same results it's like, mm -hmm. what needs to change? What needs, like, that's not quite right. Mm -hmm. Change this. Okay, move it, optimize. You know what I mean? And you're just like constantly like in that, that deep work kind of zone. Um, yeah. And like, that's definitely something I like to embrace. I get there in writing as well, kind of thing where it's just like, you have that ability where you turn the noise down and you, you get into it. But then like, there's the dark side to it, which is, like I could be working on something and then it fires a thought. And before I know it, mm. I'm checking this other stat where it's kind of like, you know, it gets a little, a little, a little, a little fuzzy, like real quick. Um, so 100%. yeah. So like the question I guess you're asking is kind of like, how, how do you turn the genius on or off? Or like, how do you guard yourself from the, like the downside of it? Like, I guess what's the, so, what's, so yeah, what are we, uh, I mean, that's, that's so, Here's it. Well, what you just said made me think of uh, uh, several things, right? Mm. Um, part of it is it reminds me of one Cal Newport's deep work, you know, mm. and it sounds like that's just like a natural, like, advantage and zone uh, for you to be in. Uh, and it is for me too, like, 100%. Like, I have split my days up into deep work day, management day. Okay, calls. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to batch all the calls. <laughs> like, Tuesday, Thursday, batch every single call, you know, and then like, you know, I have like Wednesday for like designated like deep work days. There's another um, book that it reminds me of, uh, which is uh, The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Have you ever heard of this mm. one? I have. I, I I started it, but it was one of those books that I read the intro to and said, I get back to this later. I never did. <laughs> Rec <laughs> recommended to us by by me, by uh, Felicia Sparr, actually, who I know we both have in, in common yeah. as, uh, yeah. as a coach. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things that I love from that book is um, because he's, you know, the, the, he becomes a chess champion and also a, a martial arts like champion. And then he talks about, you know, the parallels, you know, between them and learning. Uh, and one of the things that he talks about is uh, essentially the concept of nesting in the gill. If you're in the ring and somebody's getting ready to like punch you, you don't have time to go sit down and take a water break, you know, like you, you've got to like, rest 
<laughs> while you are in movement and find a way uh, to, to be able to basically, you know, hyper-focus without burning yourself out, you know, is uh, one of the things that what you shared uh, made me think about. But back to your um, original question of like, where exactly um, I was going with that. I was curious about if there's like any books you've read, you know, personal development wise or any experiences that you've had that you feel like have been transformative for you as you have like gone through your own consulting journey. Mm. Um, yeah, for, for, for sure. Uh, definitely one of the ones that jumps out to my mind right now is uh, work the system and mm. Sam, Sam Carpenter. And yep. that, that was like huge for me. Um, just because like he, he talks about the concept that like everything is a system. Right. And if you're, if you're getting outcomes in your life, business, personal, right. That are not what you're looking for. It's because there's a problem with some system, like somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like that, that really like flipped a switch in my head. Like I already understood like systems and whatnot from a kind of a math perspective from my engineering days, but it made me realize, Oh, there's like, there's way more to this than just, than just that. And, like one of my strengths definitely is like modifying, like what, what needs to like change mm. um, mm -hmm. and in, in, in embracing like that, right? Like, it's not like, I'm not like the, the big idea guy, right? Like there's people that are like absolutely amazing at being able to like, just come up with like ideas out of nowhere. My, like one of my strengths is being able to see, oh, that works. Can we, can we use that over here? Let's, let's, oh, it does, it kind of works. Like what, what do we need to be able to change? Um, and just understanding like yourself and where your strengths are and yeah. being kind with yourself. I would also say as well that like, if you're not like the way that you would want to be like understanding, um, understand that that's, that's fine. Right. Like the, one of the big concepts I learned was, well, was, uh, from Dan Sullivan. I mentioned him before, but like mm -hmm. there's different types of people in the world, right. There's make it up there's make it real and then there's make it recur. And I'm Ooh, like, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is like, are you a person that's like able to come up with the, the ideas or are you the person that's like able to take the idea that someone else has got and make it happen? Or are you the person that's like, once it's been figured out, you're the person to reliably make it like repeat. I'm mm -hmm. definitely not that third person. Right. And that was partly, I think why I didn't fit in at Intel because a lot of it was just like, yo, you're the person that's like, we're getting in here to just like do this job. There's nothing exciting about this. Like someone else has figured it out. You're just making sure that it's like not broken and continues to operate. And that like bored the hell out of me. Um, and I think it's because of like the ADD or whatever, like I tend to get bored quickly on certain things. And so like, that means I'm definitely not a good make it recur person, but I am mm. very good at like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. Let's like, let's, let's go, man. Let's make it happen. Like I am very much like a person that like wants to get stuff done. I'm not an idea guy though. I'm not, not the, you know, what would mm. really work. And like you're just you're pontificating and imagining like things out of no, out of nowhere. Um, but if there's a solid idea that I'm like, I can see where it would work elsewhere. Um, and like leaning into that, that, that framework I think is really useful because most of the time I see people unhappy, it's because they're trying to, they're beating themselves up for not being mm -hmm. another type of person. Right. Um, so that, that's definitely one of the areas I think that, that I've seen myself being able to like 
be comfortable with who I am, that it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I see everything as a system and I'm a person that's like, okay, well, I'm definitely the person that's going to make it real and then modify it. And that's, yeah. that's my strength, but I'm not, uh, you know, don't beat yourself up because you're not able to come up with world-class ideas and don't beat yourself up because like, you're not able to consistently reliably follow through on like the tasks that just bore the hell out of you. <laughs> so that, that makes me think of two things. Uh, it's really cool actually. So the, the first thing is, um, Y Combinator, you know, Accelerator, you know, out of Silicon Valley, where it's like, you've got these companies like Airbnb, you know, that have mm. come through it. And uh, the, I think one of the co-founders or so of uh, Y Combinator, he had this article that uh, is called the second job of the CEO, you know, uh, and mm. he talks about how the first job of the CEO is doer in chief, you got to do everything. You know, yes. um, and then the second job of the CEO is company builder in chief. And what you just shared is like, uh, it, it was so remarkable to me because it's like, it requires self-awareness to do the company building in chief because you got to know the stuff that you're good at so you can go find someone else who's better at it and like get them in the right seat, right? Butts in the right seat to be able to build the thing that you need to build. Uh, and then also, even before you get to that point, you know, if you're like a solo consultant, you know, to, to be able to know like, okay, all right, I may need to spend more time on these parts if I can't get help, or maybe that's the thing I outsource for uh, first, or maybe that's the thing I buy a course around to get better at, you know, or yes. just ask for help, period, you know, because we all need help. I, I can say this in my own journey. Um, Starting out, I was not the best at asking for help. Like my default was, mm. oh, this is a problem. I need to go by myself to go figure it out. And I'm going to go buy yeah. books and I'm going to go get the trainings and, and, and yeah. everything as opposed to let me go ask an expert who's like five, 10 years down the line <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. to <laughs> just like shortcut the journey, you know? Yeah, totally. That, that's been one of like my go-to moves is like, like looking back, it's what I've done. And I think I might've done it naturally or I'm not sure, but like, it's, it, it's like, you're trying to figure something out. Who's the person that already knows how to do this. Who's like mm -hmm. the go-to guy. And can you just go hit, go to that person or gal and be like, how, like, yo, can, you know, just acknowledging, I don't know what I need to do. How do I, how do I get this done? Uh, there's a guy we both know as well, Mike Williams. Yeah. Um, who like piece of advice I got from him, absolutely golden, where it was like, if there's something you're trying to do, there are a skill that you're trying to expand in your consulting skill set, let's say, like, if you can't do it, get the job, like sell the job to someone else that I will do this for you. Then take that money and hire another mm -hmm. consultant to do it with you. And then learn from that consultant to to, to like how to do the thing while they do it. Right. So you're basically get like sending the job to them. So then you can like redo it. And that, that has been invaluable to me because I played that off over and over and again on my core skill set. But also like the downside that I think you're talking about is that sometimes like you should not be doing, there are certain things you should not be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that are just like, it's working on your weaknesses is, is like not a good idea are trying to improve your weaknesses. Like, yeah, it's, it's admirable and whatnot, but I would much prefer like the organization to have someone that's far better at like time management and planning and scheduling and making sure that we have like multiple projects coming into land 
because that's definitely not an area of my expertise. It's not a strength of mine. Like, I'm very good at like, just tell me what to do. I'm going to do the deep work. I, I'll ship. I'll get the stuff done. But like the spinning, managing all the spinning of the plates, certainly not a strength of mine. And I could learn how to do it. But like, is it is it worth my time? Like, probably not. It's better to find a who in that situation than a how. But there are certainly times where it's worth you learning more about the how, because that's going to be adding to like your core value as a consultant, like, you know, 5, 10, 10x if you if you can expand your, your core skill set. I really love that. Like knowing when to find the who and knowing when to learn the how. Like that, that. That right is quotable, like hundred yeah. percent. Do you write copy? Uh, no. Um, so <laughs> well, no. To be fair, to be fair, I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing Dean Jackson there. He's Dean Jackson's idea of who, not how, is like is a big element of that for a lot of entrepreneurs. Like you're better mm -hmm. off knowing most of the time to figure out like who needs to get this done rather than you figuring out the how. But like there are certain times where like it is like you need to to expand your how. And like, there are certain areas that, you know, I need to get better at this. Like for me, what, three years ago, like I, I had developed this expertise in USPs and offer engineering and like how to convert people. But I saw like for a lot of my clients, like what really was going to unlock massive value for them was more leads and more traffic. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I had some level of expertise in that, but it wasn't something I had mastered. And I was like, Yo, bro, I, I I need to figure out the how for this because it's going to make me more valuable to my clients. I'm going to be able to get way bigger outcomes. And then I just, I pulled that Mike Williams move, right? I went to Justin Brooke and I went to all these other people. How do I solve this problem? Sell the projects, pay them to do it. And then like figure out how it's done in the, in the meantime. Awesome. I love that. I'm just going to fill in a context gap here for uh, someone who might be listening. If you're a... Uh, consultant or you are a business owner or you are a service professional and you're hearing these uh, deep in the trenches names like Mike Williams, you will try to Google them and you'll never find them because that is by design. Uh, but I can share at least this bit of context. Uh, Mike Williams is basically a mathematician turned copywriter uh, who then um, in Rabit Seti's uh, six-figure consulting program, uh, you know, both myself and Ross had the pleasure of learning from um, to be able to just up-level, you know, our consultancies from there. But since then, he's gone on to um, build multiple brands uh, and also uh, become the 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 uh, non-managing partner um, in in a very uh, successful brand. I, I can't say the exact numbers, but just just know that it's it's doing well. Uh, and he publicly lists it's on his, on his LinkedIn, so I could talk about it. So that <laughs> is what I'll say about that piece. Yeah, he's a sharp, um, sharp dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, man, I'm telling you, there's I see a trend, man, with like a lot of um, folks who come from STEM and like they go into like mm. this world of like consulting uh, and they have like that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and they're just able to just problem solve the heck out of it, especially if they also have like a background, like in any kind of personal development and looking inwards to have that self-reflection and awareness. It's this unique combination that I see just like really just that's just blowing the heck up out of stuff. Um, I want to switch gears, though. get like a little bit, you know, tactical, you know. Um, yeah. If we were to go back now to the um, conversion engineering, you know, model. And mm. someone is listening to this and they're like, how do we, 
it sounds cool, but like, how do I implement, like, what, how do I make this less of just like this concept concept in my head? Uh, how do I start to use this if I'm like a service professional or business owner? So like, how do we, how do we even begin? Yeah. Um, so let's say you're, you're a consultant and you're, let's just do a use case. Like, what do we, give me a use case you want to kind of talk about, like in terms of like what might be, yeah. be useful. For sure. Okay. So let's say we've got, um, you got a consultant, um, you know, a classic case of, you know, a little bit of feast or famine, probably long-term yeah. contracts, you know, uh, and, you know, they, they have some experience with selling, but not really like they're not trained in sales, you know, um, and they, they run into a little bit of uh, service capacity issues uh, because, you know, there's, there's only so much time to sell on the day. And then they flip between, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do some marketing, get these clients, but now I'm in this delivery cycle. And now I, I don't have the time to go get more clients and stuff like that. How might the model help? Yeah. So main thing I will say most people is like, where are we trying to get to, right? Ah, like yeah. what's the, what's the after picture? Um, and then how, how do we work backwards with the pieces that we need to get there? So in this scenario with this like service-based consultant in the feast famine, I'm like, well, what are we actually trying to like accomplish? Like what's, what's the, the end, end goal for what your desk, what are going to look like? Right? Like that's my, big qualifiers like what's the 24-hour simulation you want to be running time after time after time like how do you, what do you want to be up waking up and doing how do you want to be spending your hours and then like what are the numbers we gotta we gotta figure out to make that to make that happen so like if we want to be like for example like Ramit Sethi guy we've talked about a lot he, he wanted to be running a 24-hour simulation of bro, I want to be CEO of a company with a big team and I'm doing business that was like his 24 hour simulation that he wanted to, to run. And that's as far away from the 24 hour simulation I want to be running as possible. Like I, I just do not want to have a big team. I don't care about posting up. Like I'm doing 20 million, like my 24 hour simulation is far more like, well, I always want a lot of flexibility in my schedule. I want to be working with some clients that I enjoy having personal relationships with. I want to be solving interesting problems. I want to be able to like move country if necessary, like that's like the, to travel and whatnot, to be able to go home and visit my family who lives still live in Ireland. So I'd be starting with, with that, right? Like what's the, the end result we're trying to get to. And in the scenario you're talking about, usually that service-based provider would be happy if they were like, you know, just consistently bringing in, let's say 20 K a month, right. Or, or maybe it's take home 20 K. And if that's the case, it's like, cool. So, what is the outcome we're looking for? Is it monthly recurring revenue? Probably, right? For the most part, it's going to be monthly recurring. Uh, and I'd be then working backwards to say, well, what do we miss? What do we need to get to that level of monthly recurring revenue, right? Is it is it that we want to be working with a handful of clients, like close closely? So maybe it's a retainer model. Or are we looking to like, you know, actually not be so closely tied to a handful of clients and we'd rather be working with larger number so that like we're not so exposed if we lose like a big retainer. Uh, and and may, maybe then that the model that we're looking for is they're running some sort of group 
program, right? Or, or some leveraged premium product where people are coming in and they're paying for access for like six months, right? But having some ability to like split the revenue so we're not having to like go and get a massive new project and then get stuck in the delivery. And then we're, we're, we're stuck after that when that contract ends, right? Like that's, that's the classic problem with the, the feast and famine is, all right, we sell the contract and then we go into delivery, but we don't do any sales or marketing. So we've no pipeline and we don't have any time to do it. So then as soon as the project ends, now we're going back to project, uh, sorry, to, to sales or marketing, but there's always a two to three months lag between sales and marketing activities and like conversions. Mm-hmm. Like two to three months is going to be dependent on your size of your offer and a number of things, but there's always a lag. Like you start marketing today, you're very rarely going to be like, getting a deal like today, like you gotta be building momentum, getting back into people's decision-making criteria or decision-making flow. And then you'll be able to get a couple of yeses. So first thing would be offer. What is the offer we're trying to build? And like, what's the outcome I want from that? So in this scenario, let's say, which, which way do we want to go? We want to go with the retainer model or are we going to go with the group program for this imaginary consultant? Uh, for this imaginary consultant, let's let's actually say go with the group because yeah. uh, there's a lot of material out there on figure out your retainers. You know, it's going to be yeah. harder for them to find stuff that's about this. Yeah, awesome. So for going for going group, great. Then it's going to be like my big thing is like, okay, well, what are you? What are we selling? What's the model we're going for? Are we going to go for uh, mass market, low ticket, or are we going to be going for um, small market, like niche market, big ticket? Like you got to pick, you got to pick one or the other because big mistake I see a lot of people making is going, um, is trying to go for a niche market and then going with a low ticket offer. That's Whoa. that would kill you stone dead, right? Mm. Like trying yeah. to sell. Like if to you, like you're, you're an advanced business owner at this stage, right? Like chances of you buying like a thousand or $2,000 product now, like pretty low, Mm. right? Like you've been there, you've done that. Like you at this stage, like, you know, that you're looking for specific things, you know, the value of them. And you're probably going to be dropping, like you've graduated from the thousand dollar, $2,000 style, style offers, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, maybe in another area of your life, you'll, you'll spend those, but in the world of business and, and coaching and consulting, like you're like last time you spent that money, probably not as frequent as you, you would have spent some high end. Right. So you got to figure out which area are you going? Are you going to be going for like new people and you're going to be selling like a lower ticket thing or say low ticket. I'm saying like, you know, 500,000, 2000, whatever it is uh, total. Are you going big? And for most consultants, I imagine if you got a specific skill set, you're probably going to want to be going for big, expensive thing to a small, select group of people. So, question then. Yes. All of that logic checks out, but why then do you have some folks who are going for niche market, lower ticket thing? Yeah, I I think it's because they're. A, not aware they're making a mistake or B, undervaluing or, uh, their, the price of their thing or they, they, they haven't done the math of what it's actually going to take to scale and how mm-hmm. hard it's going to be for them to scale, right? Yeah. Like now you can still grow big audiences, don't get me wrong, in, in, an, in a small niche, 
right? Like small niches is like going to be relative, but my preferred method is like have an expensive thing that you sell to the small niche, grow the audience, but, but by selling the big thing and affording to be able to grow your audience. And once you mm -hmm. have a more sizable audience, then you can start selling the mid to low ticket stuff because you've got more volume, but it's just very hard to afford to grow and scale if all you've got is the low ticket thing and you're selling it to a small number of people. I'd much rather my clients and I tell like the, a consultant, like have an expensive thing that you can sell to like a very select group of people and then grow from there. Just exactly what Elon Musk did with, with Tesla, right? Yep. We're going to sell a small number of really expensive cars. And then that's going to fund us to sell, uh, to, to grow or to build, I should say a, bigger number of slightly less expensive cars. And then they like worked their way down, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, a, it's, it's a very simple model, but like a lot of people make the mistake that it's easier to the, they, they make the mistake by believing it's easier to sell low priced things. And therefore it should be easy to sell a high number of them. In my mm -hmm. experience, it's just as hard to sell a low ticket thing as it is to sell a high ticket thing, an expensive thing. So you're better off selling the high ticket thing, having a, a broader margin and then growing your audience with that margin. I mean, that's to, to even build on that point. The thing that comes to mind for me, it's like, if you want to sell um, a high volume of a lower ticket thing, you may not need a world-class lower ticket thing, but you're going to need world-class marketing, yes. a world-class marketing engine to be able to get that volume to be able to yes. sell enough of that thing, you know? Yes. Uh, and if your background is not in marketing, <laughs> then the chances of you being able to create that world-class thing is going to be exponentially harder. Whereas like yes. if somebody comes in on, comes in at it from like either the product or service side where they do have established expertise, it's much easier to create a higher end thing because you already have like that experience uh, in that area. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, the, the, and like you're, this is your whole area of expertise as well, obviously. Right. And like one of the big moves that a lot of people who are trying to grow and scale the volume of the low or mid ticket thing, what they do is they say, well, you have to have a big ticket thing to be able to like afford more ad spend. Right. So mm -hmm. like eventually you end up getting to the expensive thing one way or another. My preference to people is just like start there because it's just going to, it's going to make everything just so much, so much easier. Yeah. You know, but then the other thing that I could hear somebody like, you know, like uh, that consultant, you know, or even mm -hmm. business owner who's trying to like start this new uh, productized offer or something like that saying to themselves like, okay, great, cool. Maybe I go that route, but how do I find enough of the right people, you know, and stuff like that? Yeah. Do you ever run into yeah. that? Yeah, for, for sure. So there's like, um, the way I tend to think about it is imagine your funnel right? Like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, right? Your offering and your ability to like convert and close is like bottom of funnel, right? You're, oops. You're, yeah. My video went, sorry. <laughs> you're good. You're good. I thought the call dropped for a second. Um, so that's like bottom of funnel, right? Middle of, middle of funnel is like, you know, how you are building the case and getting in, in, in interactions with people, getting your message across and moving them into your, your bottom of funnel, right? And then top of funnel is how you're getting more people into your into your system. Whenever you're optimizing any conversion system, you always want to start, start from the bottom up, right? 
because you're going to be able to close conversion gaps, increase performance. That means you're going to get more revenue to like reinvest in the whole, the whole system. The only exception to that is if you have no audience at all, right? Which means it's going to be hard to convert anything anywhere if you're starting from zero in that sense. Yep. And in that scenario, you, ha you have to start with, with top of funnel. But that's a, that's a tricky situation to be in because mm -hmm. if you have no offer at all and you don't have any audience, it's like trying to solve a math equation with four different unknowns and you don't know where to, oh, you don't man. know where to start. So why getting off zero yeah. is so difficult. Now, if you're a consultant who's got a track record, right. Who, who like, you already know the type of target client you're working with. You already have like an, ex, like a specialized skill. Like you're going to have access to people in your network that you're going to be able to, to, to validate that offer with and to sell to. Now it may involve more, like manual reach out, you know, prospecting than we would like to get that first thing off the ground. Whenever you're validating anything for the first time, you just got to find the prospects like anywhere, right? To know that, okay, this is something, we have something here, people are willing to pay. But once you've got that initial validation, we want to take a chunk of that, that high ticket fee and invest that into audience building around that that problem that we've solved um, to get more of those prospects into our world. So in my scenario, to kind of give you an example, like this is, this is exactly what I did, was I wanted to get out on my own. I mm -hmm. knew that I had a specific set of problems that I could solve for people, largely coaching, education-based businesses that didn't want to use the launch model, right? They just hated it. I saw this problem in all of my clients and they were like, well, I just do not want to do this like at all. I would much rather just have a steady stream of new people coming in. And I was like, I was in the business, in their businesses. And it was, I could see there's a problem for me. So like I, problem validation of it being a really big problem, like obvious thing that needed a solution. Like I was like, great. And so my first step was, okay, can I do a done for you service for these people from my clients to say, I'll solve this problem for you. Just pay me for it. And just let me, let me in the guts of it. I have a team. We'll do the done for you. That was like, yes, I would pay you to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was like initial step one. Then step two was like, okay, can I, I, I know how to solve this problem. Can I now do a done with you consulting offer for, for these people or similar people? And then mm -hmm. it was like, well, I know how to solve this problem. I have a track record of solving this problem. Do you want to pay me and I'll show you how to solve it? I'll give you the systems, but like we'll meet regularly and then you'll pay me one-to-one -one mm -hmm. consulting to like do the thing. That level of validation, green lit. I was like, perfect. So now people will pay me to help them solve the problem, but me not do it. And the step after that, and again, all of these were just from my natural like contacts and connections from other networks and mm -hmm. uh, communities I had been a part of. And then at that point, it was like, perfect. This is a problem. I'm going to write the, a lead magnet on this thing about how to solve this problem, how I've solved the problem. And that I created a book. You don't have to create a book, but it was like a thing that says, here is how to solve this problem in this piece of content. And then I started advertising that and growing an email list around it. And I was taking some of the funds from the other uh, ventures that like the, the done for you stuff and just dollar cost averaging into growing that email list with that lead magnet. Right, just five hundred bucks, thousand bucks, 
just keep going. And at the same time, I was getting into conversations with all these people on the other side to understand how they were having the problem, what they were solutions they were looking for. And then eventually we got to enough of a critical mass that I said, all right, I'm going to see if I can do a group program. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run a pilot and say, hey, do you want to come in? You can join me as part of this group program. Pay me 500 bucks, <laughs> right, for like six weeks. I was like, would anyone pay anything for this thing like at all? And they they did. So I was like, great, another level of validation. And like, that's really the track, the, the, the go-to move is like, how do you continue to stack these tiers of validation? And then at the same time, like going back to what we talked about before, how do you document the fact that you have gotten success with each of these tiers of engagement to prove to the next tier? Well, it, it clearly worked in this context. So it's probably going to work in your context. And then it was a $2,000 program. Great. That level of validation. And then it was like high ticket 12K program done in a group format. Exact same curriculum, exact same system, which is the same system I've been running for like, you know, eight years now, refined and improved, but just doing it in a more leveraged way each each time. So that would be like the go-to book that I would say, but like that's for Mm -hmm. me saying like, I want a small number of high value people paying me a high level of MRR per month to like solve the problems with them and show them the system that I've got to like say, this is what you need to work on next. This is what you need to need to work on next. So not sure if that kind of answers the question of like the one, two, three of how to get off zero, but like starts with the offer of where you want to end up. And then you got to solve the problem of like, well, do I have an audience to, to like, to validate this too or not? And if you do, it's a much easier problem. But if you don't, like you have to figure out how to fund the audience growth while validating that people will pay you to solve the problem. That was incredible. And here's why like i know what's going through people's heads right now because that right there was worth the price of admission because what you really did was you didn't just share the business model you shared the evolution of the business model which is not something that a lot of people get into and that's Mm. those are the those are the steps to evolve the consulting model the consulting journey like going down like this more uh, productized uh, route and it's fantastic and the other part that um you know i is also incredible to me, which I think will be remarkable for the right person that's listening to this is you've actually now gotten to a point where you have said no to one-on-one work like altogether yeah. because like the group model just was that successful. Yeah. So, so, but like, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like you're, you're always kind of moving from one thing to the next, right? Like Dan Sullivan, mm-hmm. again, I'm uh, he's such an influence on me. He always says in any stage of business, there's always two businesses. There's the future business and there's the, the current business. And the current business is the moneymaker, but usually mm-hmm. there's like low margins. And then the future business is this highly speculative. I think this is going to be a better way of doing things, but it's unproven, high risk, high reward. And you're always trying to move from the current business to the future business. And the current business has to fuel the future business. And then anytime there is this revolution in your business, there's always the tricky, the tricky transition. And the the obstacle for a lot of entrepreneurs is like, really, you want to be spending as much time building the future business because that's where the margin is. That's where there's going to be less competition. But the challenge is that the 
current business is what usually pays the bills and brings the revenue in. So how do you balance those two? And the big issue for me was like a done for you was wildly successful, right? Like it was a, for me, I did a results only engagements with clients and I was getting paid like King's ransom all the time on a monthly performance check. Um, but the issue was that it was just unsustainable for me. I like, you know, I, I didn't want to be running a, a done for you team personally. I had poor boundaries at the time as well as a, as a, as a consultant. So, you know, when someone's paying you 30 to 50 grand a month in a performance check, like they start to feel like I need to be getting more for my, for like my money here. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. initially when the checks are small, they're happy to like have you over, over deliver for the promise of future results. But then once you've got the system humming, then all of a sudden it's like, motherfucker, what am I, excuse my friend, what am I getting? <laughs> That's a lot this? of money. To... Yeah. 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 Right. And and I wanted to transition away from that, but the, the, the done with you group coaching group delivery model I had was just not like I had to, it, it needed another round or two to get to a point where it could sustain the revenues I need my life would need. Um, and it's eventually gotten to that point. And like, there was a whole messy period where I had to cut the done for you work and go all in. Um, like that's, I think it's just a natural part of the cycle. Um, and for other people, it's, it's the other way. You know what I mean? Like they're moving from mm-hmm. something else to the done for you performance based stuff. But like, it's always that the tension between the two that you got to manage. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, cause I have past clients who, went from an e-commerce model to then coming into this model of like online courses, you know? And so I'm super familiar with the business pivot, you know, that Mm -hmm. needs to happen and the reasons behind it, you know, and ultimately we're all wanting to design this intentional life, you know, and it's usually I've, I've got this, um, uh, concept that I talk about, like in one of my programs, you know, the five freedoms and it's, it's built on Dan uh, Sullivan's, you know, uh, four freedoms. Right. You know, and Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, freedom of time, you know, money, you know, um, Mm -hmm. relationships, also purpose. But then the fifth one that I added, um, which was uh, very necessary for me, was energy. You know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because I realized that if my energy was off, all the other ones fall apart, you know, Uh, and like I, I just had to figure that piece out. You know, part of that's related to, you know, like ADHD and like health and stuff like that. But I was like, ooh, I've got to, I want freedom of energy, you know, um, to have like the quantity of energy I want, the quality of energy that I want to be able to live the kind of life that I want to live, you know. Um, And I found that like my clients and stuff as well, and all of us who are in this world, like ultimately, you know, it's not just about the money, but it's really about quality of life. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and like, you see so many, like your dude, that energy thing is huge. Like if you've not got the energy, like the rest falls apart, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like it, it might be physical energy. It might be motivational, spiritual energy. Do you know what I mean? But like, there's mm-hmm. so many people that you see and they, they chase the money and then they, they hit their lives because they've, they've built something that just doesn't inspire them. It doesn't motivate them, you know? Um, like there's a guy, uh, I, I know that I used to be accountability, but he's back with back in the day, Taylor Welch, traffic and funnels, huge. Oh yeah. Like, yeah massive yeah, yeah. success. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it was funny. Like I remember myself and Taylor were accountability buddies back in our copywriting days inside of Kevin Rogers community uh, before he was huge, massive success with yeah. traffic and funnels <laughs> and like hat tips to do. Like he's, he's taken it to places. Uh, really has. And like he, yeah. he went, yeah, totally. And, but he, he's very vocal now about like his transition where like he, he just chased the numbers and like yep. he put up some serious numbers, but like he was he getting did. to a point where serious millions per year but was like totally miserable and you know that's just like one thing i think that's a warning story for a lot of people is that like putting up the numbers for the sake of putting up the numbers is not really going to be what's going to make you happy um and that's why i was saying like what's the end picture of the 24-hour simulation that you want to run and then what's the model that's going to support that you know what i mean like that i think is is the question that I think a lot of consultants would val- get a lot of value from answering because like just putting up numbers for the sake of ego, like sometimes you, you want to do that, right? I know people that are motivated by like, bro, I just want to put numbers on the board. Like that's just my mm-hmm. personality. But at the end of the day, like if, if that's what really motivates you, great, go, go and do it. But sometimes, Sometimes I think a lot of people in the consulting space and whatnot, like we absorb the desires of other people and think that's what we should want as well. And like, mm-hmm. we think, Oh yeah, I know if I'm not, unless I'm doing a million dollars as a consultant, I'm like, who, who, the, who the, like, who am I? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's where I think it gets a little tricky. Yeah. I think I, I really like that distinction that you made there where it's like the, the absorption um, of other people's, you know, goals and, you know, might not necessarily, you know, having super a clear identity and vision for like what it is that you want. Uh, Cause I've definitely gone down that route uh, myself as well, you know, and it's like, Oh, numbers, numbers, numbers. But then it's like, okay, why do you feel miserable? And then it's like, you become disconnected from your body and, you know, like the present moment and what actually brings you joy. You know, it's um, it's, it is so necessary to visit and continue to revisit you know, on a quarterly annual basis mm. to just make sure that there's alignment, you know, so that yes. the, the quality of life that we're apparently chasing doesn't actually pass us by, you know, because maybe we actually already have some of it, you know? Um, yeah. Like I really, really, really love that point. Um, I just want to say that you have stayed way over time. <laughs> on this call and Bro. i just really want to appreciate you know all the time and knowledge that you've been sharing um with everyone my pleasure so far. when the conversation yeah. is happening like when that's it we're uh, irish people love their chats you know i mean there's a good conversation <laughs> to be had like let's keep it let's keep it rolling but my, my pleasure dude it's been uh, yeah it's, it's like i told you you know um like uh irish people are you know second largest immigrant population in jamaica you know um like we, we, <laughs> we it, it was it was it was fated to be like, <laughs> yeah. again, like the parallels between our journeys uh, is fantastic. Um, and I, again, just want to say thank you for sharing all that you shared. I know there are some people who are going to be going back and listening to this again and again and again and again. But before we go, I always like to end with like a couple of questions. Oh, for sure. If you were stuck on a desert mm-hmm. island with mm-hmm. only one piece of dessert to eat, what would you eat? Oof. Oof. And like, it's the only dessert you're going to be able to eat yep. ever again. Or you literally mm-hmm. have one ever again. Savor? Ever again, man. Okay. Again. Um, that's a good question. I think like, uh, 
Parrot cake or else <laughs> or else flan, custard flan. Huh. It would be one of those. It <laughs> was a very specific choice. I like, I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, that's, Don't that's, make that's me choose between those two, Mark. I'm not going to choose between those two. I'll <laughs> right, give you we'll, two. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you get away with that too. Um, and another question is, if you could recommend one book mm. to somebody listening that you think could change your life, one professional, one personal, which books would you recommend and why? If I could recommend one book, professional and personal. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, personal? Personal, I, I give the one that I'm reading right now that I, yeah. I'm having, a, I think, a huge, uh, it's having a huge impact on me. Um, it's Ryan Holiday's Discipline is Destiny, right? Ooh, I think discipline, okay. yeah, discipline is um, an interesting topic that I've noticed myself over time that like just I've had natural levels of discipline in certain areas of my life. And mm -hmm. that's led to massive success. But then my lack of progress in certain areas is largely down to a lack of discipline. Um, mm. And it's interesting. I think there's a, there's an interesting dynamic he talks about in the book where um, like applying discipline to yourself in certain areas is what's going to get you through, right? Mm. Like hard work and all that is good, but like, you know, you need to be, you need to be disciplined and consistent. That's really uh, the key to success in any, yeah. um, in any endeavor. That I think is one that I think would probably resonate with me. Uh, it's resonating with me the most right now. And what I see a lot mm. of my clients as well is often the underlying issue is that there's a lack of discipline. Now that may be for a number of reasons, right? Like there's mm -hmm. a, emotional reasons and whatnot. You may be not be applying the discipline, but that's definitely one I think from the personal side of things. Uh, on the professional side, um, bro, it's so hard. This is a tough question. Um, yeah, um, like it's alluding to me. I'm not, I would probably need like my the way my brain works is like, what's the recommendation okay. for like this specific thing? And just in general, professional books, probably, probably essentialism, I would say. By oh, now that I'm thinking okay. about it, Greg McGowan, right. yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, like high level. Um, like that's really, I think the, the one that's moved the needle for me the most is like knowing when to like go all in on something and just like burden the boats and like go and just making it the one thing that I think is probably, um, one that's had a huge influence on me over the, over the years as well. Mm. Those are two extremely solid recommendations you know like i, I have ryan holidays uh the obstacle is the way but not uh the one on discipline uh so so that one piqued my interest on uh, for sure uh and essentialism i do have essentialism i quite like that uh one uh quite a bit um it is it is solid um yeah and final question is actually one that i'll put to you uh for our next guest you know, I've already given away who it's going to be. But if you could ask um, our next guest, leave a question, you know, uh, for our next guest. Like, what question uh, would you leave for them, for them to answer? Interesting. Uh, do I get to know who the next guest is? Or do I just have to come up with a question? Just come up with a question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the next question for who, who, what would I ask? Um, 
what's been the most recent change you've made to uh, your daily routine that has had mm. the biggest impact to your the amount of joy you experience day to day? That's a good question. I like that. Thank you, sir. That's I, I would I don't think I would have come up with that. That is uh I appreciate that one very much. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Solid man. Again, thank you, you know, um uh for coming, for for sharing all your knowledge with us. And you know, um I don't be too surprised if you get another email at some point um uh inviting you back uh to do another one if you're open to it. Well, my pleasure, dude. It'd be my. Uh, I I feel like we covered a lot, but we only scratched the surface. So anytime, more than happy to jam.